Welcome to the First Time Podcast. This is your host, Tad. If this is the first time you're listening to First Time Podcast, it's really simple. Let me explain. Either me, my guests, or both of us are experiencing something for the first time. It's usually a movie, and today is no different, and we're going to talk about it because it's a podcast. You might know today's guest as one of the Spooky Boys. He's one of the hosts of the I Like It Spooky podcast on the PFPN. He's a fellow member of the Mutant Fam, and you've probably heard him on 200 podcasts this week. Welcome Brian Godsill back to the show. I've only been on two podcasts this week, but I have more lined up. Is that including yours or uh, just two guest spots? No, so mine, this guest spot, and then I have another guest spot, but that's not till March. So Okay, so you can't reveal it yet? Uh, it's okay if you can't. Yeah, it's about cannibal movies, my top ten cannibal movies. So okay. That's I, been a fun watch. Yeah, that's awesome. So... Uh, if, if my listeners haven't somehow heard I Like It Spooky or know who you are, which I think 90% of them will, uh, maybe tell them a little bit about your podcast, what it's about, and because uh, it's been a while. I don't think you guys were going, or if you were, it wasn't in the same uh, iteration as it is now the last time you were on here. Yeah, I think the last time I was on here, we had just kind of transitioned from four hosts to two hosts and we're having some guests and now we're at three hosts so uh and we kind of switched things up a little bit when we first started we were just watched a movie and talked about it no structure at all so um now we have a little structure we open the show we talk about some news we talked about um collectibles and why we're poor um and that seems to be a lot of people's favorite part of the show because most collectors and most horror fans are poor just like us yep um, we cover a movie then we talk about um, we have a question and then we talk about what we're up to um, and then we finish so that's kind of the gist of the whole podcast and since uh we last talked you joined the prescribed films podcast network which yeah. is exciting uh inevitable i mean we're all just sort of a big group of horror nerds that actually hang out all the time and enjoy watching movies and talk every day so uh you know it's just uh it's just great to have you on here again since uh i think it was the wnuf halloween special i had you on here for with with brian clark yeah yeah that was my first podcast ever and then let's see what did we do after that Oh, uh, we did the What Happened to Solange. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah, and I was actually just talking about that with somebody the other day. Um, they were talking about some of their favorite Giallo films, and I was like, you remember that one? And they are like, oh, that one kind of escapes my radar every time. And uh, I was like, yeah, it's kind of different, but it's interesting. Yeah, they can, they can watch it and go back and listen to that episode and uh, hear what we had to say about it. But uh, this is one that we've sort of danced around for quite some time. It is a movie that neither of us have seen. Um, I'll just get into it. Today's episode is on John Waters' Pink Flamingos. How did you happen to hear about it? From some friends who saw it and thought it was absolutely marvelous. Probably I'll be very insulted. Rex Reed, Reed told, <laughs> told us that it's uh, fabulous. You come out at midnight to see it. Why well, go home at midnight? What are you going to see there? I guess there's just two kinds of people, Miss Sandstone. My kind of people and Ashley. 
fantastic. It's the third time I've been to it. It's an incredible head thing for people. Oh, it's marvelous. Absolutely. Most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my whole life. Not to be believed. Absolutely outrageous. It was divine. Fabulous. I think it's the future of city living. How fantastic. It was really fun. Excellent. Yes. Loved it. Really good. Really good. Right? It's great. Piece of garbage. I have an aversion to snakes. It was divine. I love religious movies. It's a little gross, but I liked it. Well, it was uh, really the grossest film I'd seen. I think John Waters has got his finger on the pulse of America. I think he's got his thumb securely up America's ass. I enjoy dirty things as much as everyone else does, but this isn't even dirty. It's just disgusting. So I just had to find that trailer because I saw a video of John Waters talking about how the original New Line Cinema trailer did not have any actual footage from the movie because they couldn't put any in a trailer. Uh, so they stood outside the theater and basically just asked people who were leaving what they thought of it and used that as a trailer. Oh, man, I don't know what movie they were watching, but I did not have much fun with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so so John Waters' Pink Flamingos was, was released March 17th, 1972. So we we just passed its 50, or we're almost to the 52nd anniversary, um, or 51st, and uh, had a $10,000 budget. But I, I also read that he went 2000 over, so it ended up being $12,000 budget, um, filmed in Baltimore. Uh, written and directed by John Waters, uh, starring Divine as Divine and Babs, uh, David Lockery as Raymond Marble, and Mink Stoll as Connie Marble. We have Mary Vivian Pierce as Cotton, Danny Mills as Crackers, Edith Morrissey as Edie, Channing Wilroy as Channing, Cookie M- M- Mueller as Cookie, and Paul Swift as the Eggman. So... Brian, I think this this talk started because you saw Pink Flamingos on like a Criterion sale on Amazon and picked up the Blu-ray, and I was like, I've actually never seen that. We should talk about that, and that was probably over a year ago now, right? Yeah, I think it's been wrapped on my shelf for over a year. Actually, I have a friend um, through podcasting and just um, the internet that I've met that lives in the Baltimore area and is a huge John Walters fan, Sarah. And she's like, have you watched this? Have you watched this? And I'm just like, no. I was like, I'll watch it. Um, I said, and you can't find Pink Flamingos to stream anywhere, so I have to buy it. And uh, I can't remember. Yeah, I think it was an Amazon. Um, Barnes & Noble is having a Criterion sale, and I went to like four Barnes & Nobles, and they didn't have it. So Amazon just happened to have it at the same price 
um, that Barnes & Noble was having it at, so I bought it. And I think I shared it in one of the groups that we're in. And you're like, oh, we should do that for the podcast. So I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And a year later, now we're watching it and talking about it. What What was your, like, you, did you know anything about this going in? I mean, John Waters is like a piece of our pop culture, obviously. Um, but, like, what had you heard about Pink Flamingos before you watched it? The, the two the only two things that I knew was that it had divine in it and that at some point in the movie divine eats dog shit <laughs> that's all I knew about the movie that's it that's sort of the reputation for this one and uh, I know a lot of my listeners are are gonna do the thing I tell people not to when they see this episode and go tad and Godzilla have never neither of them have ever seen this movie but um, I'm. I don't know how I feel about this. I. I had obviously known Divine. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, John Waters part of pop culture. I actually saw John Waters live show back in October, and uh, he was in Iowa City, and that was a whole lot of fun. But I'm like almost embarrassed during the show because I'm like missing some of the Pink Flamingos references. Uh, you know, it's it's like his most notorious film, one of the most controversial sort of underground and still underground films. It's not, like you said, it's not streaming anywhere. If you want to watch this, uh, you pretty much have to either find a bootleg online or you can buy the very nice Criterion collection. And that's like a a weird thing to sort of think about is that this movie is too controversial to stream anywhere, but Criterion, the most prestigious of all boutique labels, uh, put this as part of their collection a few years back, and you can buy it in glorious high definition with all the special features. Yeah, and I think I told the people at work, oh, I'm covering a John Waters movie, and they're like, who's that? And I was like, you know, Crybaby, Hairspray, Cecil B. Demented, um, Serial Mom, and they're like, oh, I've heard of a couple of them. And I was like, yeah, this is like before he was mainstream, yeah. before he did like Hairspray and all that. Um I'm trying to think of the movie. Oh, I watched multiple Maniacs. So a lot of the cast that was in that is in this movie also. Right. So I was like, oh, I've seen these people before. Um, and I don't know if you've seen that movie before, but at one point, a giant lobster rapes Divine towards the end of the movie. <laughs> okay. So this one was like, oh, I've seen all this before. Like Divine has sex with a lady in the church during the movie. So I'm like, okay, nothing really surprised me on this one. Um, and the dog shit eating happens towards the end of the movie. Like, I mean, we're yeah. jumping way forward. That's fine. But I feel like at that point, you're just like, oh, that's not even the weirdest thing in the movie. Yeah, you're not. The, you're pretty desensitized at that point. Yeah, like, shit, dog shit, okay. The, they should have put that at the beginning. I, I had known, like... I felt like I had seen this and I, but I also know like if I had seen it, I would remember like, I'm never going to forget this. This might be the, f- the last time I watched this, unless it's with like a group of friends as a, as a fun party movie. This would, this would be when I play at my birthday, but it might be too gross for that even. But, uh, it's, I definitely would have remembered, but I, I obviously like the, the dog shit thing, is like ingrained in my memory. People talking about that maybe when I was getting into film and like as, as like a high school or something, someone's like, Oh, you got to check out John Waters. Um, 
the names, obviously, I mean, Divine has become a big part of pop culture also, just like sort of just like hand in hand with John Waters. Um, and the Eggman thing like that, that stood out to me. I'm like, I've seen this clip somewhere. So I'm sure it's been sampled in music and, you know, mocked and, and parodied and things. But it came out. It's crazy looking at the, the credits. I'm like, 72. God damn, this movie is 50 years old, like mm-hmm. over 50 years old. And to think. You know, people lost their mind in 74 when The Exorcist came out. This came out two years before that. And this really pushed envelopes. I mean, holy shit. Yeah, I was thinking when I saw the Eggman, I'm like, how is this motherfucker not a meme somewhere about how his ass is balling out with a fucking big suitcase full of eggs <laughs> that, that yeah like why aren't more people like cosplaying or dressing up as an egg man at, at for halloween yeah like he's got i told tiffany was on the couch my girlfriend while this was on and i knew you had told me like make sure nobody's around but uh she's seen the greasy strangler like three times now because i've watched it that many times at home and uh after it was over i was like was that the weirdest movie i've ever watched and she's like no, you watched Necromantic last weekend yeah. and The Greasy Strangler like three times. She's like, it was fine. I still think this one, maybe it's like the newness of seeing it, but I think I feel it trumps that because it combines several things. I mean, one, you know, Greasy Strangler and Necromantic are outside. I mean, they, they have the chicken scenes, both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was stock footage in Necromantic, which was a first time watch for me on uh, the last drive in. Yeah, yeah. But this was th- the chicken scene in this movie was made for this movie. Um, that I think out of everything, because N- Nikki's laid on the couch and watched it with me, and uh, that out of everything was the only thing she really turned her f- head at. Yeah, it was out of place, just weird. Um. And it's rape, yeah. And it's animal cruelty, and the chickens end up dying, right? You know, and I said to Tiffany, I was like, I'm trying to be funny, but I don't know how funny it is. But it made me think of Devil's Rejects when he's like, "You boys don't plan on fucking these chickens, do you?" And I'm just like, could they have left that out? But he's just pushing the envelope as much as he can push it, and I gather they didn't have anybody on set to tell them what to and do and what not to do yeah so they just did whatever the hell they wanted yeah i mean, I, I had read I, I don't know if this is in the trivia later but i had read that uh basically they filmed this like that little trailer they that's sort of the main part of the movie uh was on like farmland or something and a nearby farmer basically they they promised him like a cameo if he could they could use one of his chickens and you know after it died they cleaned it and ate it which is doesn't make it okay but it makes it maybe slightly morally better and i don't know i mean if we really want to get down into it i'm not trying to defend this at all but like the way chickens are treated in like like big mass farms where like we're getting our eggs and our meat is they're putting these stuff tiny little cages where they can't turn around so they're not treated much better on uh these mass farms but still for entertainment it's yeah that that was the only part that and and of course i'm 
I don't like the that any of the animal mutilation in Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. I, you know, because the, the animals don't have a choice in it. The people who are doing stupid shit in this movie that are eating literal dog shit and singing with their assholes and, uh, you know, doing giving blowjobs on screen, that's their choice. They're humans. They're making that conscious decision. The chicken was innocent and had nothing to do with that. So, I don't know. I am probably sound like a square, like... I don't know. I think about like 72 though. Can you imagine like going to a theater? I mean, like Rocky horror shocked people and they had a blast with it, but like, and and again, exorcist freaked people out in 74, but like, this is 72. This is like, I mean, NC 17, but it's like one step above a porno basically. Oh yeah. This is probably one step below. Like you have to show this where people jerk off in the theater. Yep. <laughs> you know, like, you can't show this anywhere but there. And I'm sure John Waters is, you know, he's always had a very, obviously, sick sense of humor and, and has written on this. When we saw him back in October, he sort of talked about, like, because he's been doing this so long and because he, this wasn't his first film, but his first sort of breakthrough, that, like, he was uncancelable because what are you going to, he's not going to get worse than this. You know, so if if he's already made it and he has this film out there, what are you, what are you going to try to dig out of his past? You know, like he has this reputation already. What what else is there to get to throw at him? Well, and I kind of feel like then, back then, you could cancel him. The people that would cancel him and not go see his stuff aren't the kind of people that are going to go see his stuff anyway. Right. And you cancel him, and he's like, okay, more people are going to come see my stuff. Yeah. You know, like, there, it was a different culture back then, and I don't know if we're there right now because I feel like people get canceled weekly right now. Um, but I'm sure there's somebody doing something somewhere, maybe on the dark web or um, that we haven't heard about that is like, okay, fuck you, cancel me. Like, yeah. it, it's not going to affect me in any way um there's a website i follow on facebook or maybe not even a website a group unearthed films mm -hmm. know, and uh they put like stuff like a siberian film and gutter balls and stuff like that out and i kind of feel like they're just in that if you don't like it piss off you know realm um I mean, you do have that option not to watch, and yeah. uh, it, it's funny because you mentioned that, uh, you know, sort of, like, almost helping his career because I, I, again, have been reading up on this after watching a movie. I, I just tend to do that. I watch something that piques my interest. I got to try to read everything, and, and uh, maybe last year or the year before, he did a lot of interviews because it was the 50th anniversary of pink flamingos. And they were talking about in Texas, how uh, he was touring just a few years ago and there was picketers and he, he's like, you know, Oh, that used to happen all the time, but people sort of know that it doesn't really hurt me anymore. So they stopped, but in Texas they they were picketing his show in 2021 and uh, someone in the crowd during the Q and a raised their hand and they were like, I didn't even know you were in town until I saw the picketers outside and I bought, I, I had to run up to the box office and they still had some tickets. So I bought one and came in and John Waters is like, you know, 
if if you're a fan of mine, like a picketer is not going to make you turn around, just going to make you come buy a ticket. So, uh, you know, he relishes in this. He's made a career out of the filth that he uh, self-proclaimed filth, filth king or the king of filth, the king of gross, whatever you want to call him. Um, but I mean, that's that's what he is and that's what he's always adorned. And even with his mainstream, so-called mainstream stuff like Hairspray and stuff, it still has a dark, weird sense of humor that he brings to it that's uniquely his. And I, I've always appreciated that about him. Yeah, he's probably putting in actors in those movies and actresses that would not get a chance in any other movie, um, especially in Hollywood movie, are being allowed to work in those movies. Oh. Well, it reminds me of, uh, now I'm drawing a blank, uh, that directed uh, Brain Dead, uh, Peter Jackson. It's yeah, like yep. amazing Early that on. he did uh, Dead Alive and he's done, you know, some of these absolutely repulsive, disgusting films. And then he does Lord of the Rings or Sam Raimi, who did Evil Dead. And then it's like Spider-Man. Uh, you know, James Gunn, who worked for uh, Troma, comes out and does Guardians of the Galaxy, and now he is in charge of all DC films. It's sort of cool. Like, I'm not, not, he's not quite on that same scale, but I mean, going from Pink Flamingos to, you know, Johnny Depp and Crybaby and being a big part of our pop culture uh, is absolutely crazy to think about and to, and, one thing that's, that sort of really freaked me out when I started going down the rabbit hole, I found out he has a cameo in the new, like, this Alvin and the Chipmunks 2, like the CGI Alvin and Chipmunks. Hmm. And John I, Waters does? John Waters does. And I thought it was, like, people joking, like an Onion article or something. So I looked up on YouTube. He sits next to Alvin on an airplane, and they're talking back and forth, and he's like, you're John Waters. He's like, yeah, and I think he offers him, like, a drink or something, and I don't remember how the conversation goes, but Alvin says, no thanks, I've seen Pink Flamingos. <laughs> in a fucking kid's movie, dude. And they just sneak that in there? Like, who is that reference for? Uh, I have no idea, because I would imagine... Most people that are watching Alvin and the Chipmunks haven't seen Pink Flamingos. And if they Google it, they're not going to be happy. Yeah, maybe grandparents showing it to their grandkids. Yeah, but even then, it's like, if if they have seen it and they get the reference, they're going to be like, what the, why is this in Alvin and the Chipmunks? I imagine maybe somewhere in the six degrees of separation, John Waters has a friend or a, as a ride you know what i mean like there's somewhere that he's like oh i'm just gonna put this in there because no one's gonna get it except for me <laughs> and i'm gonna put it in there <laughs> like but also just sort of shows like how a big of a part of our like pop culture he is that it's like i've for some reason have never seen pink flamingos until recently, but like I went and saw him live. I've, I've, I've been a fan of him as a person. I've, I, I think maybe I don't remember if it's at my birthday or one of the things at the theater. I, there's this funny clip that, uh, is from like movie theaters where he, they, it was like a bumper they'd put on before a movie. And he's like sitting at a table smoking. And he's like, uh, there's no smoking in the theater, you know, uh, 
you can't light one of these delicious cigarettes up in this cedar and he's smoking it and puffing it basically like rubbing it in people's faces back when uh you know there were some theaters you could smoke in when they started banning that and uh it's just like that was played in theaters everywhere and he's become such a cultural icon uh and it all started with this movie where a guy sings with his asshole yeah i couldn't figure out what he was doing i didn't know if he was singing or just trying to push his rectum out i was like what is going on here um he the was, crowd seemed to enjoy it yeah i think i he, mean he was on stage trying to he's simulating singing with his asshole huh Yankle, yankee doodle dandy i mean i don't know what song it was i could did it have sound I, like, I i'm not sure if this part the, there there's one song that's been replaced in a movie because of rights and i don't know if it was during that and i i don't really remember i mean i was a little distracted by the gaping asshole <laughs> uh and and nikki was like oh my god like what the fuck is is this uh yeah i i was not expecting that but uh I think if you haven't seen this and you've made it this far, um, I think Roger Ebert, I, I looked this up to see what he thought in his description of the movie. Now, keep in mind, this is his, not mine, but I think this is actually better than like the IMDb synopsis. I'll just read this real quick because it's hilarious. The plot involves a rivalry between the competing factions for the title of filthiest people alive. In one corner a drag queen named Divine who dresses like a combination of a showgirl, dominatrix, and bozo, her mentally ill mother who sits in a crib eating eggs and making messes, her son who likes to involve chickens in his sex life with strange women, and her lover who likes to watch the son with strange women and chickens. In the other corner, Mr. and Mrs. Marble who kidnap hippies chain them in a dungeon and force their butler to impregnate them so that after they die in childbirth, their babies can be sold to lesbian couples. That is like such a funny, but like accurate description of this movie. It's better than, like I said, uh, what, whatever IMDB has up. That's a whole damn movie right there. Yeah. And it's clear that, like, like I said, ten thousand dollar budget. Uh, he said he went over twelve thousand. It's it's very uh, low key, very simple, but in, in the acting, obviously, pretty atrocious. It feels like a local community theater. But the humor, the it's sort of the charm of that is like you can tell that they filmed this on the weekends, um, wherever they could find. It's almost like punk rock bootleg, you know. Uh, that's the whole charm of this movie is that it was done on the low, low budget. You could tell it's like a group of, of friends getting together, but making a, a drag queen divine as the main character and to have divine and these other two competing against uh, each other for who's the filthiest. This is a plot line for a John Waters movie. I love it. Yeah, and I was like, who decides who's the filthiest and how do they decide that? And do you just like say you're the filthiest? I there was a like newspaper? Yeah. <laughs> that said they were the filthiest. So then she got crowned, the other people got pissed cuz they wanted to be the filthiest. Um but they knew about her, Divine. Divine didn't really know about them, so it wasn't really a competition. It was 
them trying to unseat her right. as try, the filthiest. Yeah, try to like one up because Divine is on the run and going as Babs. Mm-hmm. And uh, not really sure why, but uh, that's another part of the, the, the strange, very thin story. But it's it's really throughout the movie just scene after shocking scene clearly you know john waters fucking with the audience to seeing how far he can he can push things uh i've heard that this is aired in other countries or even in the u.s on cable and it's like 40 minutes long because they have to cut so much out it's like over half of it has to be cut out i don't even know what you would show without yeah all of that and if it would make any sense i mean then again, it might make more sense because, <laughs> like, at one point, the guy's going to the park, the husband of the, I yep. don't even remember his name, and there's some girls sitting there eating, like, lunch. Yep. And he undoes his coat and his trousers, and he's got, like, a piece of sausage hanging off his penis. <laughs> and he, like, shows it to him, and they run away. And steals her purse. Yeah, and steals her purse. Like, yeah, it, <laughs> It may make more sense without the <laughs> pornographic stuff and, you know, the singing butthole and the chicken raping and the, yeah. Uh, so, it's, yeah, it's it's definitely more, it's, it's less of a narrative and more of a, it feels like more of a fuck you to society and mm-hmm. like a celebration of weird, which I, you know, I, I just, I sort of flip-flop on this movie because... I love all that aspect, um, but again, I don't. I, I don't need to see chickens mutilated in a rape scene. Um, I don't need to see a guy singing with his asshole ever again. But it made me laugh a lot more than I probably should admit. Oh yeah, there was a couple of points during the movie where I just laughed out loud, and Tiffany's just looking at me like, "What <laughs> is so funny?" And I'm just like, "This movie." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I remember probably the funniest part of the whole movie was when the guy, he goes back to the park and he's got like a chicken neck or turkey neck tied to his penis this time. (laughs) And he like takes it out and the lady's sitting there smoking or digging in her purse. And so he's messing with his penis. She, he's messing with her booby. And then he gets pissed off and he's like, retching at it like and then she pulls her dress up and she's got a penis too yep. and she's like jerking off to him and he just gets pissed and leaves <laughs> I'm just laughing out loud I would rewind it and I watch it I'm like did you see that did you see that like that lady had a penis and he got pissed and left and I watched it like three times and just laughed every time <laughs> Yeah, I, I, we watched this pretty late at night, and uh, I, I think this would be, like I said, one that benefits from watching in an audience of fans. Like, it, not something I plan on bringing to the Capitol anytime soon. I don't want the place to get shut down. But, uh, you know, this would be a midnight movie, something to, to watch with a group of friends behind closed doors to laugh at. Uh, and I'm sure that's how it's sort of celebrated now. I, I can't say I've ever actually heard of like a a screening i don't i don't know if it's just not available for uh but new line cinema was actually the the 
like distribution company, uh, Robert Shea, who's responsible for, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and so many horror classics, uh, and 72 saw a print of this, absolutely loved it, contacted John Waters and said he wanted to distribute it. So, uh, years later, you know, Waters was saying like he thanks, uh, Bob Shea for taking that big, uh, sort of leap and, and, thinking that this could be something and putting it out there, even though it was NC 17 and very controversial and, uh, disgusting. And, you know, if it didn't get on enough eyes, it is, he was sort of saying too, like if in today's culture, you, you, he would throw this online or it would do a few screenings and, uh, because it didn't make money, it would just die and no one would give a shit about it. But it was 72 where you basically like he was taking, his one print of it from theater to theater and renting out theaters and showing it to midnight crowds. And, uh, it gained a reputation that way, word of mouth and became this big cultural phenomenon. And, uh, I sort of wish, like I asked my boss if he had seen it. He's about my dad's age. He's in his sixties. Uh, he had heard of it, but he didn't remember seeing it. And I'm like, if you saw it, you would remember it. Um, so I'm just sort of like, I wish I knew like, I need to ask more people who were like in their twenties in the seventies that if they remember this, you know, how, what, what it was like if people were talking about it. Cause there's clips of John Waters and divine on several late night shows on talk shows. I, I know they're on Letterman later, obviously uh, than this, but it's like, we're still talking about it here. 50 years later, obviously made an imprint. Yeah. I feel like it would have been like New York, L.A., Chicago, you know, maybe Iowa City, um, St. Louis, all the big cities, all the maybe the college towns. Um, and it it almost reminds me of, you said we're both members of the mutant family, but, like, those are the kind of people that would see this and be like, I'm an outcast from society. Um, I'm like Divine or I'm like this family Maybe not to that point, um, but nobody gets me and nobody gets my group of friends, and this is something that we love and enjoy, and fuck everybody else. Um, kind of like with Necromantic, they made that movie as a fuck you to the government of Germany. Right. Just because they could. They're like, no, we're just going to do it because we can. Um, and I kind of feel like that's what John Waters did with this. He's like, well, I got $12,000 or $10,000 and I can make a movie. And if people love it, they do. And if they don't, oh, well, I'm going to do it with, I would gather this is his group of friends or acquaintances because they all kind of seem to be in his movies, at least the ones I've seen from that time period. And they were just going out and having fun, I guess. <laughs> I mean... I would imagine some of it was fun to film. Um, maybe some other parts weren't. I mean, I don't know that you'd want to lick every piece of furniture in a house. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that probably wouldn't be fun, but I mean. Yeah, it, it's weird, like certain things uh, it, that shouldn't bother me do and things that should bother me don't. Like the the all, licking all the furniture and stuff, that was like more repulsive to me than like eating the dog shit for some reason. And I don't know if that's like because of 
like our current like germ culture with a pandemic or just the idea of them actually doing it. But I mean, that's what sort of makes us genuine too, is that like, they're not, nobody's faking it. This is all for real. It has sort of like a snuff film documentary feel to it. Yeah, one of the nastiest things I remember from the movie, other than the toe sucking, because I am not a foot person at no. all. I was like, oh, can we? I almost fast forwarded through that. But uh, when Divine goes to the store and gets that piece of meat and throws oh. it between her legs and carries it around for, for half the day, yeah, and then they're a... eating it for dinner. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I would imagine with their budget, that's the same piece of meat that they're eating. Yeah. yeah. They didn't buy like two pieces. No, no, probably they're not. They're just like, no, oh, we're going to. Oh. And uh, yeah. I have a fr- my friend Sarah that's like always trying to push John Waters movies on me. She said, and I told her I was going to use this for the podcast. She said, this is this movie in a nutshell. She said, nothing will prepare you for how disgusting yet totally, oddly likable these characters are. And I was like, I don't know that I like them, but I don't dislike them. I would like I would compare it actually to and and people probably hate this but uh it makes me think of Devil's Rejects where we have these villains where it's not the good guys are supposed to be actually uh divine and crackers and Edie and the family and we're almost rooting for them and in the end they prevail and end up taking the title for filthiest and executing the marbles. But we should, again, sort of like she said, like those, we root for divine, even though divine is the grossest and most, uh, filthy person alive. Uh, but some, something about the way it's written and the way it's done. It's like, these are the filthiest, you know, the filthiest people, but we're rooting for, at least for divine, I think maybe, I don't know. Yeah, and the the mother gets married to the Eggman, and he wheelbarrows her off. A hap- happily um, ever after. Yeah, happily. What did it, I think it said newly engaged and had some Pabst Blue <laughs> Ribbon cans, like on the wheelbarrow. Man, all they didn't spare any expense. <laughs> that the mom was obnoxious. The you know. Oh yeah. When are my eggs? Where are my eggs? Where is the egg man? I'm just talking like a toddler driving yeah, me yeah. up the wall more so than anything. They they kept her in a baby crib. Yeah. I think the whole movie though, like yep. even when they went outside for like the party, <laughs> she was in a different kind of crib. <laughs> Dedication, oh. man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, this this is not a watch once a month, six months. Um, I, I don't even know if I'll ever watch it again, but I, I probably will at some point. Like I said, not, not alone. I'm not ever going to just pop it in. It'd be something to watch with a group. But I am almost curious to get the Criterion just because I want to watch all the special features. Like, yeah, yeah. And- and it comes with like a barf bag, right? You said- yeah, it comes with a. What did I do with it? Because I didn't use it during the movie. It says a pink flim ingo barf bag, and it's got a pink flamingo with you know one leg, and then it comes with a copy of the Midnight Paper from December thirteenth, nineteen seventy one. 
It says exclusive photos of the divine, the filthiest person alive. Like the sort of like probably the newspaper they're reading in the movie. Yeah, in the movie. Yeah. So like four, no, eight pages. So I'll have to read through this. Oh, it has a picture of the family. Be fun to get framed up. Yeah, yeah. Put in the family room. Yeah. Good conversation starter when people come to visit. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Wouldn't be the weirdest thing hanging up in my house, maybe. <laughs> well, as you can imagine, this uh, movie has a boatload of trivia. So I'm going to uh, cut over to the Prescribed Phil's Podcast Network, uh, where we both have podcasts on. Uh, you can go listen to probably 30 new shows. I don't even know what they're up to now. But um, as always, check out the PFPN.com. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with trivia. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. So this might have been one of like my favorite uh, movies to dig through the trivia just because it's so funny. I laughed a lot more probably reading the trivia and, and things John Waters said than uh, watching a movie. But uh, I picked and, and tried to narrow it down to some select fun stuff. Um, according to production designer Vincent Peranio, the art department's budget was $200. Half went to purchasing the trailer, half went to decorating it. And I quote, and then after that, running out of money, we would just steal things. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they spent 200 bucks, ran out of money, and then just started stealing things, which seems right for this movie. Uh, during filming, Divine was arrested for stealing. In her defense, she said she was method acted playing a criminal. So it's like, I wonder, I, I didn't dig into what Divine stole, uh, what if it was like shoplifting, but um, I like how the defense was just, I'm, I'm a method actor playing a criminal. I wonder if it was almost like a jackass kind of thing. Yeah. Where they're just like, go in and steal that meat. Right, I wondered that, that too. When I saw that, I'm like, was that actually like theft for that scene? You see if they could get away to get the genuine reaction out of people. Mm. Yeah, it would oh, make sense. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't imagine they got a a convenience store or a market to agree to let them film pink flamingos inside. But uh, they pro also they probably weren't telling them up front what kind of movie it was. Um, the night after eating the dog shit scene was filmed. Divine called a hospital emergency hotline, pretending to be a mother whose son ate dog feces. She was told that the worst thing that could happen was that uh, she might get worms. According to director John Waters, the dog was fed steak for three days beforehand. Divine's reaction to eating it was real. After filming the notorious scene, Divine immediately cleaned her teeth using the toothbrush of someone she didn't like. 
<laughs> oh man who's gonna use that toothbrush though you would smell dog shit on it and be like no i'm not using this you would hope so but uh i just love that idea of divine uh doing this and then in the aftermath thinking should probably call the hospital and see if i'll be okay yeah. not, not beforehand to be like can i do this but you can tell that divine is uh not enjoying it no amount of acting can hide the mm. discomfort of eating a fresh dog turd. And why does it matter what the dog eats? It's still shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> I imagine, you know, it, it uh, I can get, I mean, gives it a different smell or taste. I don't know. Uh, not, uh, yeah. It's not going to make it good, but it might make no. it less bad. I don't know. Yeah. That could mm. be a whole different uh, podcast. Uh, I don't think you'll find anybody to eat dog shit for your podcast. No, I don't think so. No, that's a that I, I wasn't going that direction, but now that I'm thinking first time, you know, there's a first time for everything, but uh I would never ask that of anybody, but you know, if that's what you're into, no no shaming on you. Uh as long as you're not hurting anybody, enjoy your yeah, enjoy yeah. your life. Um Divine and the party guests are actually inhaling amyl nitrate during the party scene. At the time of filming, it was still legal to buy poppers at drugstores. If you watch Divine's face during the scene, she suddenly starts laughing uproariously. John Waters says that's where it kicked in. Hmm. So another sort of just authentic scene where they're not really acting. They're actually doing uh, poppers. And they're high as a kite? Yeah. Hmm. And I, I don't think this is in the, uh, in the trivia, but more reading about this... Uh, he was talking like someone, I think an interviewer, maybe it was on Letterman or something. They accused him of, you know, being high when making the film. And he's like, well, no, I was probably high making or, or writing the film. And I was high, like, you know, partying with my friends, but I was not high while shooting the film. Like I, I have some kind of, uh, you know, respect for filmmaking. Like I, I actually stayed, uh, you know, level-headed during the making of it, so it would turn out to be a good film. Uh, he's almost offended that someone would insist, would would even, uh, you know, hint that he was high while making it. Like, uh, how ridiculous! So he he wasn't high making it, but he was high the whole rest of his life. And the only time, yeah. <laughs> And little spurts. I mean, he he has fun. That's okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, hmm. Filming only took place on weekends. John Waters raised money during the week, so they he would uh, go out, knock on doors, raise some money. They'd go on the weekends, film some footage, back back to knocking on doors. I don't imagine any of those investors, uh, after they saw it the first time, were out there telling people that they chipped in on this, but. No, no, nobody wanted their name in the credits or anything like that. I think uh, he said that his dad gave him a large sum of money that he ended up paying back, but his dad never watched the movie. So he was like, thank God my dad never watched it. So I wonder what kind of person his dad. Do you think his dad was like, Dad, can I have some money? I'm going to go hang on my friends this weekend. Yeah, just get the fuck out of my face. I don't know. That, that it's, I'm sure he's probably written a book. There's probably a lot more information on him out there. But the way 
that read when I when I read about him, his dad not seeing it was that his dad was not like a weirdo like him. Like his dad would not be cool with pink flamingos. Yeah, I almost feel like he would come from like a very strict religious family. Right, and he's um, he's sort of uh, rebelling. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of his the this movie and the the um, other movie I had seen, multiple maniacs, kind of have that underlying. Um, screw religion tone. Yep, mocks mocks um, uh, the mm-hmm. religion, mocks heterosexuality, yeah. mocks a lot of. It sort of turns a mirror on society in general, and and I love in that trailer when someone says he has the finger on the pulse of America, and then he so he waits a second. He goes, he has a thumb in the ass of America. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had uh, shared this movie on social media, like that I was watching it, and somebody said. That movie was awful. We're all dumber for watching it, and so are you. I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm dumber for watching it, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just got to turn off your brain and enjoy some some shit yeah. like this. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I I don't I don't know if there's I'm sure there's studies out there that are like why this is so culturally important. Why it's uh, you know a statement. What it's what John Waters is truly trying to say. Um, and then there's probably other people who say it's ridiculous, dumb dick and fart jokes. Um, I think it's somewhere in between. I know he is saying he's making political statements within this movie. And he's, like you said, it's a big middle finger to certain cultures. But I also don't think it was like some grand opus. I think it does have dumb humor mixed in with some political undertones. Like it's it's he, it's it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I kind of feel like if we didn't have this movie, we wouldn't have maybe Jackass um, or The Greasy Strangler or Necromantic. I always preface, I've watched Cannibal Holocaust with my son, and you had talked about how you don't like the um, animal mutilation and killing and torture in that movie, Um, and neither do I. It, It really serves no purpose outside of shock value. Um, But I always tell my son, who's 17 now, we're going to watch this movie. There's a lot of things in it that aren't okay, but it has a part of cinema history in it. And that's the thing I would preface this movie with. Without this movie in history, in cinema history, there's probably not a lot of things that come after it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, there's probably things that I'm not even thinking of in the 80s and 70s that came after this movie. Um, well, I they mean, don't happen without this movie and af- John Waters. After watching this, I'm like, oh, absolutely. Like you said, Greasy Strangler is like the modern version of that. You know, I mean, it's not it's it, you can't really shock uh, our culture now. I, I mean, I guess you can, but it's like that is as close to like weird out, gross out, funny, dark what the fuck humor as we have now. So that's probably the equivalent, I would say. The clearly uh, inspired, which uh, the Disney character Ursula was inspired by Divine, which is interesting. Hmm. Um, but, hmm. but going back to what you were just saying, in 2021, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant, um, which 
I, f- I think is so cool. Like, and John Waters is so uh, like he he's so honored to be to have his film in this. I, I read an interview about this in particular uh, because the Library of Congress, a branch of the government, selected this film for preservation, saying it's so important to our culture, it's so significant to our culture historically that we must preserve it for all of history for all of time. And he was sort of saying like, like the interviewer was saying, you know, does this mean something to you? Or are you just sort of like, whatever. And he's like, it means everything to me. It's saying that good or bad, my film left a mark and that's all I wanted to do. And he said, you know, out of all the films they could have picked, they picked pink flamingos. And that makes me the, the as proud as can be because they went all in, uh, you know, he's like, they could have, said, you know, well, he made a mark with Pink Flamingos, but he really, you know, he came to in Crybaby or he came to with Hairspray and changed musicals. He goes, no, like, I came in with Pink Flamingos. Don't try to hide my past, you know. And it's funny because he got in the same year as, I think, the first Lord of the Rings movie. And going back again, thinking about Peter Jackson, it's like, that's what he's going to be remembered for. He's not going to have, you know, of course, us horror hounds are going to be dead alive, you know, but he did Lord of the Rings and that's his saying everywhere John Waters goes for the rest of his life until the day he dies, he's always going to be the pink flamingos guy. He has a Funko pop holding a pink flamingo. Well, and even after he dies, his legacy will live on because this movie until the end of mankind is going to be in the library of Congress. I mean, movie library. That's one of the things that kind of tricked me when I put on the Blu-ray. Yeah. It starts off with that. Yeah, it starts off with that. I'm like, well, it can't be that bad. It's, and it's in the Library of Congress. And, like, and you're watching it on a Criterion Blu-ray. Yeah, I'm like, it can't be that bad. I mean, it's the government picked it to live forever. So, I mean, it can't be that crazy. And it tricks you. But that's what's so cool about it is that even through all the craziness is that it's recognized for what it is, which is a mm-hmm. very, a boundary pushing important film. Um, I had read someone and I, I don't know if, you know how much to put into this. It's not necessarily my opinion, but I saw someone basically saying like it was a statement of at the time in 72 people categorized, um, you know, drag queens and, and weirdos and LGBTQ people as monsters and sickos and, and compared them to uh, incest and, and pedophiles and stuff. So mm-hmm. he basically was taking this movie and saying, like, we're all the things you think. We're all outrageous and over the top and we eat shit and we we are disgusting and, you know, swing our show our dicks in public and we're just complete deviants, just like you said. And so we're going to put it in a movie and turn the mirror around and, and, and say, we're exactly how you thought we were saying basically like, this is how you paint us to be. And look how ridiculous it is. This isn't how we are, but you want us to be like this. You're, you're painting this picture of us as this. So I don't, again, I don't know if that's what he was saying with it, but I think that's sort of an interesting view of it. Yeah. He, he claims that it's not because, because I, when he, he was talking about this being, part of the library of Congress, uh, national film registry. He was like, they said, you know, are you 
proud that it's like the first queer film in there. And he said, well, it's not a queer film just because it might. He goes, were any of the characters, he had to think, he goes, are any of the characters in the movie gay? Well, no. There's a drag queen, and I'm proud to have the first, uh, you know, he goes, before in in films that had drag queens, they were very pretty. and, And Divine was sort of the first rough, scary drag queen. She scared other drag queens. But after that, you know, you watch RuPaul's Drag Race and clearly everything inspired by divine, you know? So he was like, it's not, it's not a statement on being, he's like, if anything called a queer movie in the sense of what Pete, what kids called each other queers when they were in like, you know, middle school, not like queer as in LGBTQ because he doesn't think of it as that. Yeah. It's a, it's crazy how important it is now especially with a lot of the stuff that's being said about people, um, drag queens. I feel like we need to turn the mirror on ourselves again because we're falling back into some of the same things that we did as a society in the 70s and in the 60s and in the 50s now. Yep. Like we're... Trying going to... backwards we're not going forwards we're going backwards yeah we're like painting people that we don't agree with in these bad lights and it's almost to the point where it's ridiculous like we need to really start looking inward as a society and be like what are we doing why are we tearing each other down like we're having enough rough time with the economy and war and um, you know covid and we're just beating each other up um yeah i I literally read something earlier that you know uh there are certain states that are doing this thing where they're like you know if you have drag in your bar or your restaurant or if you have drag in your restaurant it's now considered a bar and can only be 21 and up so if like we have a, a restaurant slash bar here in town wake and bake breakfast that's uh mm. breakfast companies that you know kids go eat brunch at all the time they have kids meals uh it's very appropriate and then sometimes they have drag brunches or they have drag shows at night and if iowa were to adapt that which would not surprise me because kim reynolds but um that would mean like they would not be able to you would not be able to go have breakfast with your kid because they have drag shows at night you know and it's like uh, like you said just so, of course, I've seen some of my friends who do drag are saying, like, jokingly, well, I'm not doing drag now. I'm calling it cosplay, and we're do- we're, we're going to call our drag show a convention. So, uh, you know, it's not a drag show anymore. So, good luck with that. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a weird thing, you know, to think, like, this was 50 years, over 50 years ago, and that was radical. And now we're back at that state where we're going after drag queens when it's part of like there's one of the most popular shows on TV is RuPaul's drag race. We have, uh, the drag show on shutter. I'm drawing a blank on the name, but Joe Bob was a, Oh, a, the blue boule brothers. Yeah. Joe Bob yeah, had them yeah. as guests on the last drive in. He was, uh, you know, a, a judge on one of the episodes. It's just like, why they're not hurting you. So leave them alone. No. You know, what, a whatever happened to live and let live or having fun or, just letting people be different. Why is everybody? I we've been into Wake and Bake, and Finley's eating there. My four-year-old, and I wouldn't have any problem with anybody as long as 
they're not hurting anybody else live your life like i i just feel like like i said we're becoming this awful versions of ourselves we and we want to hurt everybody else and tell everybody else what to do and not help anybody not lift anybody up yeah it's this movie is probably more um relevant now than it was the day it came out yeah because i bet if you showed it to just i gather it was just normal people going in and watching the movie as they come out you know in the trailer Uh uh-huh i gather that if you showed it now just to a normal group of people you'd probably have three to four times as many coming out and saying how awful it is and disgusting it is and the people are disgusting and awful and and how dare they live like that then we did 50 years ago yeah you know so i don't know it's like we had talked about somebody asked me about um the mutant family and what that meant because i'm doing the polar plunge here um at the end of this week and uh I was telling them it's just a group of people that have kind of been outcasts their whole life um, because of the movies they watch or the music they listen to. or um, You know, it's kind of sad that John Waters was probably part of the mutant family 50 years ago and didn't even know it. And we're still a large group of society is fighting just to enjoy life and find a place in life. Yep. Um you know, just like he probably was with his group of friends. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, this movie set the tone and, and ma- he made a career out of it and he went on to make some other great films and he's been celebrated his whole career. It, it made me laugh, too, because uh, Fox News recently did a had a headline um, like filmmaker John Waters thinks uh, kids at drag shows is funny. And it's like, you know who John Waters is, right? Did you just discover John Waters Fox News? Because that's his existence is to piss you off. Like, literally, he's alive. He he probably would. He's, like, fueled by the intent to piss off Fox News. Like, he he talks about uh, in in this article I read about how now some of the stuff that if he filmed it today, he's like, of course you could film a better looking movie on an iPhone. He jokes about how you get better quality out of a a smartphone. But he also said, uh, he goes, you know, if some of this stuff would be a lot of it, especially like the chicken scene, you know, he goes, the liberals would come after me for it. And nobody's more, you know, bleeding heart liberal than I am, but times have changed and I understand, you know, why people might be upset by some of the stuff. That's why he's, you know, he's not killing more animals in his films and stuff. But they were sort of just talking about, like, remaking it and how if you could do it in today's culture. And he's like, I, you know, he sort of avoided the question by saying, like, I don't get why they do remakes if the movie's good in the first place. Why redo it? But also, like, do you, he goes, you know, the only person, he jokes, the only person that now that would eat dog shit on camera are some of the jackass guys like Johnny Knoxville or Steve-O would be the only ones he could get to eat uh, dog shit on camera as a, as a prank. But uh, I just, I don't know. You, you don't see stuff like this, but, you know, you obviously see stuff like uh, Greasy Strangler is, is, you know, sort of underground cult classic 
Uh, and we still have those movies that, that come out every so often that blow our minds. And, and thankfully artists are still making what they want to make and, uh, just sort of shows, you know, and, and I think, you know, more so than I do, you, you dig deep into the, uh, you know, the, the depths of weird film actually more than I do the low budget stuff. You're always funding fan films and, and indie films and stuff. And we'll always sort of have that, you know, even if the studios, uh, aren't funding it anymore we're always you can't stop filmmakers from making what they want to make and it's more accessible now than ever back then he had to actually have a film camera now we all have cameras in our pockets uh you know and it, it might be harder to shock people but it's easier to make a film oh it's a yeah it's one of the things that surprised me when you watch these older films that this looks really good really clean I'm sure they cleaned it up for their Criterion release, but it may look better than what I could shoot on my phone. But maybe it's, not, it's it's film stock, though, you know. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, so it's it's pretty. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're never gonna stop artists from making artwork. I mean, it's more accessible now. Um, maybe a little bit harder to get twelve thousand dollars for a movie like this, but. I mean, maybe not. I mean, um, what you're going to show, uh, obstacle. What is the name of that o movie? Obstacle corpse. Yeah. At the Capitol. That was a crowdfunded movie. Um, Clint, one of my co-hosts and I were just, um, Indiegogo supporters for, uh, the Valentine bluffs movie, um, which is a sequel to my bloody Valentine. Um, I mean, there's fan films coming out almost every day. Um, and just people putting out stuff that continues to, I mean, the Greasy Strangler came out of nowhere. I mean, um, so a lot of the stuff that Shudder has put on that Joe Bob showed. Hell yeah. Um, Fried Berry or Hellbender. Yep. I mean, Hellbender was just a husband and a wife and their daughter. Yep. Decide to make a movie. I mean, and then they're showing it on Shudder, which is the most popular streaming horror service. Um, our friend Justin Beam, when we were at Halloween of Palooza, was talking about how Tubi and Pluto and Amazon Prime are just allowing people to put movies on there and paying filmmakers. Um, so, yeah, there's a whole universe out there to explore in movies. And you could, I mean, no one can watch everything. That's why I think when people are like, well, you've never seen Pink Flamingos? I'm like... Hell, I watched 500 movies in the last three years. Yep. I, I'm sorry, I missed one. What the hell? Yep, like, yep. you can't see everything. No one can see everything. You'd almost have to say, I'm only going to watch this kind of movie released from this date to this date, and then maybe you could see everything. I mean, you guys watch, what, 50, 60 for the year-end thing on Attack of the Killer podcast? Yeah, and, and it's... And there's still... 200 more yeah we have a spreadsheet and it's like you know there's a ton that none of us ever got like out of the f uh, five of us because there's uh we add dust into that episode like there's there's probably another 150 on that list that none of us just got to because you know it's either hard to find or it's just didn't pique our interest and it's yeah there i mean there's no shortage of content everything you know it, like i said films as someone who runs a film festival i love short films because they even it's even easier to make for for uh, people and more accessible um 
so yeah i mean we have youtube you can even throw out on vimeo it's just like i I can't imagine you know in 72 he had to pack up a film reels and travel and get in his car and drive this movie around and to get people to watch it you know and I don't know. It wouldn't have that impact now, maybe because it would just it might just drown in the the ever flooding, you know, Tubi market. But uh, obviously, it came at the right place at the right time, and he had you know the right audience that felt like they were not being represented. And finally, this film spoke to them in one way or another, and uh, you know it, it made a ripple and changed films from then on. Yeah, I had somebody the other day say, where would you go if you could go back in time anywhere? And I said, I'd go back to like New York, in the maybe like the 70s and 80s, where you could just go down on, what is it, 61st Street or whatever it was and watch all the seedy, you know, you could watch Basket Case and Pink Flamingos and, you know, those kind of movies. Um, yeah. I don't want the stabbing and like shooting, so maybe I'd like <laughs> clean that part up of the travel. But uh, I can just imagine going in a theater, getting some popcorn, some soda, whatever kind of candy they had back then, and just sitting down with a group of friends to watch this movie and then coming out and being like, what? When is that showing again? Right. Because I would imagine. What the fuck did we see? Yeah. It would be a blast in a group of people, especially if no one had ever seen it before. Oh, yeah. You know, like... We don't get that experience nowadays because, like, Scream 6 isn't even out yet. And people are already telling people who the killer is online. So you can't even look at social media yeah. if it has anything to do with Scream. Um, yeah, it'd just be a totally different experience back then. Um, probably better. Yeah, you know? all, all word of mouth. And, you mm-hmm. know, you had to know someone who knew someone and... You know, I I long for that sometimes. Of course, you know we're also very privileged that we can watch most. We were just talking about it earlier. How like it's rare that this movie isn't streaming and will probably never be streaming anywhere because of its content. But um, you know, for most part, you can go on Tubi and just there's an endless sea of horror movies at our fingertips. It's the polar opposite of having to drive and have a communal experience. I love both. You know, but uh, it's, you know, there's nothing like a group of us getting together and, and watching a, whether, I don't even care of good, bad, whatever movie, just enjoying the time, a, a communal experience of seeing something. Yeah, my uh, other co-host, Jason Underwood, went through Tubi one day, and he's like, I just sat there and kept pushing the button to go to the end, like all the way over. I think he got to the end, and it said like 3,129 movies just in the horror part of Tubi. Yeah. I'm like, you'd never, never get through that. No. I mean, you'd have to wake up and start movies and go to bed and not work a day in your life, and you'd probably still not get through it because by the time you got through it, there'd probably be 3,000 new ones to watch. Uh, one of my favorite writers, and uh, he, he used to write for several different publications, including Birth Movies Death, that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, I think he still writes for either Fangoria or Bloody Disgusting from time to time. Brian Collins, uh, he used to have a blog called um, Horror Movie a Day, and he watched a new horror movie every day, including Christmas, New Year's, his birthday. didn't matter what day it was, and wrote a review on it every day for, like, I don't remember, like 
12 years straight or something. Um, and then he ended up coming out with a book on it. Uh, and I just thought that was like really commendable because, because, uh, people, you know, people celebrate that we, you know, it's cool that we watch, you know, 60 new horror movies for the end of the year episode. And it feels like a trog when we're getting down to like December and I'm like, Oh shit, I got to try to watch like four today or whatever. But he, you know, he's watching 365 of them every year. And it's not necessarily a new to that year. It's new to him. It's a different horror movie, but, uh, he's seen the worst of the worst and he's still not even, you know, taking a chip off of what is coming out. So that just sort of goes to say, you know, just how much truly is out there. Yeah. That's when I, uh, when I dug deep into horror, it's been what for about four or five years ago, I watched 330 new movies to me, but I also had a job that I was up 12 hours a night. I'm sitting in an office by myself. So it was kind of easy to do. Um, I can't imagine having a writing job and a family and watching a new movie yeah. every day. I mean, some people start the October thing. Um, that's a big thing. You know, they start right. October. I'm going to watch a new scary movie every day for every day in October. And most people make it till about the 8th. Yep. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, I'm done. I'll and just watch Halloween on the 31st and be done with it. Yeah, well, life happens, man. Yeah, yeah. And, and he eventually, uh, he stopped doing that blog. He has a son now and stuff. But, uh, you know, he came out with a physical book and um, a Burlington filmmaker who founded a certain film festival that uh, I currently run. Uh, his movie made the worst movie of all time on his list, and he watched a new one every day for 12 years. So that says something. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. A whole ch- has a whole chapter devoted to it. It made here in Burlington, Iowa. The worst movie ever made, or the worst movie he watched yep. in 12 years. Yep. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, I've never made a movie, so it's oh, still yeah. better than anything I've made. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was mostly because of the audio quality and not so much the writing. He just is like, he just, yeah, that could be a, a whole different thing. I'd love to have uh, the director on to, to hear his story about it, but... Uh, yeah, it's it's crazy to think, and and it's really weird right now because I'm gearing up for my Oscars episode. So I I'm literally going from like Pink Flamingos and an AOTKP movie to a Best Picture nominee, back to some weird shit Mike has us watch, then over to you know Tar, which is like a, a artsy Kate Blanchett movie. Uh, it's my mind is sort of just like. I mean, I'm I'm hitting like the highs, the highs, and the lows of lows. Uh, to go from peak flamingos to an, a best picture nominee is just like my mind doesn't know how to process this stuff. But uh, well, if if that best picture nominee is the new Top Gun movie, they might be on the same level, right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was fun at least. You know, it, yeah. I don't honestly. It was my least favorite best picture nominee until I saw Avatar two last night. So. Oh, yeah, not yeah. my not my thing, but uh, yeah, I've not seen either of those and have no desire to see either of those. I mean, Avatar two is like four hours long, isn't it? It felt like six, but yeah, it's very oh, it, it's very long. Uh, it's fun. It's visually very cool. Eye candy. Uh, props to James Cameron. He knows how to make a popcorn movie and make a lot of money. So, uh, you know. 
shout out to him. If there was a movie that could be more polar opposite to Pink Flamingos made with nothing with friends, it's uh, Avatar where, you know, it's made in front of a green screen with motion capture and mm-hmm. nothing's real. Nobody had to steal anything. No, nope, nope. carrying meat between their legs. No, nope, nobody, nobody was arrested for shoplifting, and no one was eating dog shit, as far as I know, on the set of Avatar. So, yeah, that'll be a the whale will be one of the few um, probably Oscar movies that I see, um, just because I mean I've heard you talk about it and it sounds amazing. Yeah, they're yeah. actually having the writer of it uh, in Iowa City next week. I wish I could make it, but yeah, it's all that. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna be able to make it because it's too close to the time I get off work. But uh, yeah, man, there's there's some really good stuff. I, I I love it all. Give me Pink Flamingos and give me the the best Oscar nominees you can and everything in between. I just love film. That's what I'm here for. I might you know it's funny because I will follow this episode up with uh, probably either the Razzies or the Oscars and uh, you know talking about the best and worst in cinema and. and a lot of people would call this bad. I think it's a blast, but uh, again, not something I probably would make an annual watch, especially not by myself. If I'm going to watch this again, it's, you're going to have to be sitting next to me in a theater laughing your ass off. So, Yeah, I would imagine this would be on the Razzies list if the Razzies was around in 1972. Probably, yeah. Yeah. I did see everything everywhere, everywhere all at once. Yeah, yeah. That was, I mean, that was probably my favorite film that i saw last year but i I haven't seen the whale so i think i think it's going to take best picture and and best uh or supporting actor i think it's going to take home a lot of awards in a few weeks so i'm excited and again i think i think a movie where there's hot dog fingers and butt plugs and you know fanny pack fight scenes another thing there's probably some john waters influence in there somewhere yeah, I, I could see the the hot dog fingers being John Waters' <laughs> idea. Did, did you have any final thoughts on Pink Flamingos before we say goodbye? Uh, buy the Blu-ray and pop it in and enjoy it. Uh, Christmas with your family. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> don't listen to him. I I try to warn you. Don't tell people to do that. I think if they made it an hour into this, they they've been warned enough by the singing assholes and dog shit eating that. Uh, yeah. They know better than to watch this one unless your family is, um, you know, has blue and pink hair and are fighting over who's the filthiest. Then uh, don't do that. Or if you're you're waiting for the Eggman. Yeah, or if you don't want your family there for the holidays. Yeah, it's a good way to clear out a room. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's what we're watching. (laughs) No, it's a. I'm sure I'll watch it again at some point with a group of friends or just to show it to somebody that'd be like, Oh, you got to see this one. You know, it's again, it's important. Yeah. It may be about the filthiest person in the history of the United States, but it's important. So I'll put it back, put my uh, magazine and my barf bag back in the box and slide it into the, Criterion slip cover and put it back on the shelf with the rest of my Criterion movies that are in the Library of Congress. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's oh. such, yeah yeah it's it's just strange to say that out loud. But uh, where where can people hear your podcast? 
So the I Like It Spooky Spooky Horror Podcast is on Spotify and it's everywhere you listen to your podcasts. Um, we're on Facebook and Twitter and we have a YouTube channel where you can see my ugly face. Um, I share you know stuff that I've bought and records that I've bought and you can listen to the music from them. Um, we're all over the damn internet. I was going to say, Mo- you, you have quite a following on, on Twitter, so where can people follow you yeah. on there? So uh, I'm at G-S-I-L-8-4 on Twitter. Um, you'll hear a lot about Joe Bob and the Mutant Family on there and the weird movies that I watch. Um, we usually live tweet on Joe Bob when it's time for Joe Bob. Hell yeah. So, uh, which is coming soon, I gather. Usually around April, right around my birthday. So Yeah. Um, we're not too far from Joe Bob time. Fingers crossed. We just keep getting more and more of it. I know things are sort of changing over at AMC, but, uh, you know, it's, it's what we bond over is this weird love for weird, all things weird. And, uh, this movie is, is no different. It fits right in with us. And I am by far the weirdest person on the, I like it spooky horror podcast. (laughs) And that's okay. That's why you're on here. Yeah. yeah. That's why well, I that's why I had you on for the Pink Flamingos episode. Nobody else would even buy it. Yeah, the <laughs> other two would be like, "Nope, not even going to touch it." As Wait. I sit by my greasy strangler toy that Clint picked me up. I'd say from you, a bootleg as fuck toys. <laughs> I I, w- I would love to see or hear Jason's opinion on it. I'd love to get sit him down and make him watch it. You know, we just covered uh, Blades, the killer lawnmower movie. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. but I uh, haven't seen it. I know the cover because you and, yeah. and uh, Justin have shared it back and forth. Yeah, and I, uh, I'd i watched it um, with Bloodhook as a double feature, which is like the killer um, fishing tournament movie. There's a serial killer. Okay. And that, one, that one's known because uh, Vinegar Syndrome did a slipcover of that, and the slipcover sells for like two to 300 bucks, just yeah. the cover. So I found that movie, and I watched it. It's a trauma release. And then I was like, what goes good with that? Yeah, let's watch the Killer Lawnmower movie that's a um, parody of Jaws. So we decide to do it for the podcast, and I'm like, everybody's going to hate it. And, you know, we talk about it on the newest episode, and Jason's like, I fucking love this movie. I loved it. I laughed the whole movie. You're rubbing off on him. You're rubbing off on him. Yeah, I was like, oh, my God. Like, what? That's Andy and Mike on our show. Mike, Mike is the ultimate. Like he, he he's forgiving of bad things. Andy's tolerance is pretty high. I might be the Jason of our show, where uh, I, I mean, I like obviously weird shit. I I show it every year at my birthday, but uh, maybe Jason might be a little. But Jason, Jason's just positive and likes everything. There's, oh yeah, yeah. I, I have I have a limit. If something's just bad, straight up bad, I don't, I, I'm okay without it. But uh, if it's fun, it has to be fun, entertaining. I think it was Joe Bob that sort of said like, the the biggest crime a film commit can commit is being boring, and I, I agree with that. If if I'm entertained for the hour and a half to two hours that you give me, I'm okay with it. Yeah, and you will maybe not be entertained with Pink Flamingos, but it's not boring. No, it's not boring at all. And and it's one of those things where sort of like on the other end of the spectrum, someone asked me, I think it was Jason asked me last night, He's he's been going through some of the Oscar nominees, and he's like, did you like All Quiet on the Western Front, a World War One movie? And I'm like, well, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it because it's a brutal World War One movie that shows how hard that was. 
it's hard to watch. I can't say that was fun. Uh, would I say I enjoyed this? I laughed a lot, obviously a lot more than a war film. I laughed, so maybe. Uh, but again, this is, so I, I bet if I watched it with a group of friends, I would say I enjoyed it. So, yeah. And you, you can't say the same about All Quiet on the Western Front. No, I, I don't no, think you... watching that with a group, it would still be dead silent and yeah, sad. Yeah. yeah. But it's recommended, just not something I would say I enjoyed. Beautiful film, so well made, just uh, a very serious subject that's not <laughs> fun. Yeah. Oh, I don't need any of that. I work in healthcare. I have enough unfun moments. Yeah. You cu- you, you watch movie to escape, not to get oh, back Oh, yeah. That. Yep, yeah. Yeah. So, again, thanks for coming back on the show, talking Pink uh-huh. Flamingos, entertaining me with... Uh, watching some john waters stuff we might have to go back into his catalog later down the road but uh you know we we actually have a few other movies on our list that we've we've talked about we need to get together and and watch and talk about but uh go listen to the i like a spooky podcast wherever you listen to podcasts you can find that show and so many more over on the pfpn again thanks for coming on brian and we'll see you next time on first time podcast Thanks again for listening to today's episode. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. A special thank you goes out to my friend Scott Schreiner for our intro and outro music. We'll see you next week on First Time Podcast.